0: This is episode 31 of Functional First podcast, where we speak with leading experts in the field of functional health. I'm Katie Yamamoto from Functional Media, and today I am speaking with pharmacist Dr. Penny Wood on opioids and persistent pain. Thank you for letting us
1: meet with you today. No problem. Can
0: we start with having you introduce yourself?
1: So, my name's Penny Wood, and I'm a pharmacist. So I lecture pharmacy at La Trobe University and I also work at Wathaurong Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Service um, as their practice pharmacist.
0: And so today we wanted to talk a little bit about opioids. right? My favourite topic. (laughs) Uh, So can you give us an overview of opioids and what's been going on with them what opioid dependence is and why this is such a big issue lately
1: wow yep so opioids are used to manage pain they work on the opioid receptors which um, for the purposes of pain are mainly located in our brain but they also can work on receptors in your gut and other things which can cause some of the side effects you get from them um, opioids Were originally have been used a lot in all types of pain but what we've discovered now is that they're better for acute pain or acute flare-ups of chronic or persistent pain and we're finding that actually using them in persistent pain is not that beneficial anymore and in some people they can actually be making that pain worse rather than better. We're also finding that lots of people have become dependent on these opioids so physical dependence so when they try and stop taking them they get withdrawal effects so they get you know, feel pretty lousy, feel like they're getting the flu, they can feel um, like they get an upset tummy, all those types of things as well. And then there's another type of dependence, which can be psychological dependence, so that they feel like that they can't function or manage during the day without them. So they're psychologically dependent on them. And then there's another step, which is addiction. So then um, people um do things that perhaps they wouldn't normally do so like go around to all these different doctors or lie and cheat and steal to get these medications because they just can't function without them and often this is all caused because of tolerance so what happens with opioids is once you've used them for a long time your body gets used to them so you need to take more and more and more to get the same effect that you that you used to get
0: um i mean when someone's been taking them for a long time and they start to have that dependence on them is that that the opioids are actually helping with their pain or is it more so that psychological dependency? Uh, so there's, there's
1: physical and psychological dependence. So your body kind of, when you try and stop, you start to get those mm-hmm. horrible effects. So that means you think, oh, I can't stop taking them because I feel so lousy. If I stop taking them, I need to keep keep taking them. And then the psychological dependence kind of goes along with that as well. So there's two, there's the physical and the psychological. And some people um, don't even want to take them, but as soon as they st- try and stop taking them, they feel pretty pretty horrible and I think people just get a bit um reliant like they fear fear that that their pain is so bad and they're worried that it will come back if they if they stop taking them and often that's not the case and I think if they can do other things like your exercise and your mindfulness and um all those other things and think about your sims um so your safety things that, that, that you can actually slowly come off your opioids and find that it has, doesn't actually have an impact on your experience of pain.
0: What do you feel are the appropriate uses for opioids?
1: So acute pain. So when you have an acute injury, such as you break your arm and things like that, and what the evidence is saying now is that you shouldn't be on them longer than about a week after you do that. And if you are on them longer than a week, then that can predict that you're actually gonna end up on them long-term. So we need to really try and get people after about three days or so starting to, to drop off um, them. Sometimes you can um, use them if you have an acute flare-up of your persistent pain, so you might have overdone it or something, so then you might need to have them for a couple of days to settle that down again. Or maybe to give you a bit of a kickstart into doing your exercise so you feel safe and comfortable to start that exercise or, or whatever else it is.
0: What are the stats on opioid addiction and death
1: due to overdose? So in Australia now, there's more deaths from prescription opioids than there are from illicit opioids like heroin, whereas that hasn't always been the case. And in Victoria at least, I'm not sure for the rest of Australia, but more people are dying from prescription medication overdoses and car accidents, which is a bit scary. And if you consider you know, the big traffic campaigns and all the money that goes into that, um, we don't have the same thing for these, for these medications. So, yeah, so there's an increasing number of deaths and it is quite, is quite scary. Um, oxycodone is one of the big ones. Um, methadone can, can, can contribute and fentanyl is starting to creep in and that's happened overseas and it's starting to kind of make an appearance in, in Australia as well.
0: Why has it taken so long to find out the dangers of using opioid
1: i guess um when um opioid medications first came out in particular oxycodone when that and that's one of the pro- big problematic ones when it first came out they were saying you know you can't get addicted to it it's not like the other ones so you should be using it and that if your patient is in pain they were saying to the doctors you're not treating them properly you're, you're mismanaging them you're not doing you're doing your patient an injustice so doctors kept increasing those doses until their patients were pain-free to try and the best for their patient but as it turns out now we're finding out that that actually isn't the best and it's actually causing them more trouble than good and long-term opioids can cause all sorts of problems with your immune system and your hormone levels um can increase your risk of osteoporosis a whole heap of other things so we're kind of finding that out that out now Um, so we really need to try and taper the dose off the opioids because I guess another important thing is not to stop suddenly because you do get those withdrawal effects and, and people's pain can come back and come back a lot worse so we do need to be mindful of, yeah, we do need to come off them but we do need to do it slowly and, and over a period of time.
0: It seems like from what you read in the press, I mean, at least in Canada, that opioids are being taken away, no longer prescribed... And that there's a big resistance to that from the people who have been on them for a long time and feel they need them. So what other options do those people have in terms of other medications that they could take or non-medicinal options? Yeah,
1: so I guess... And the other non, non-opioid non options are paracetamol, which is relatively safe, not completely safe in everyone. You still need to be careful in some groups, but relatively safe. And then there's the anti-inflammatories, which again, shouldn't be probably taken long-term. They do have their risks around cardiovascular risk. So they they're not appropriate for everyone as well so i guess they're your two medication options but ideally you want to be not reliant on any medication and so that's when you need to start considering the pain neuroscience and looking at getting up and moving more um getting mindfulness learning how to sit with your pain um Figuring out those things that can make your pain worse, figuring out those things that you can make your pain better, so your dims and sins, and looking at those those types of things. And then just reserving those medications, as I said before, for those flare-ups.
0: And so I'm a physiotherapist, and I have a lot of clients come in who tell me that they've been on opioids for a long time. What is the best option for someone like myself in terms of setting these people on the right pathway to overcome that because
1: that's not really in my scope <laughs> <laughs> no I guess from your point of view is trying to give them those alternatives so they feel safe to take to stop taking those medications and the fact that oh I, I'm not going to take that medication but I've got something to replace it with that's going to help me with my pain and having a chat to their doctor or their pharmacist about what options and how they can taper it and and as I said you need to do that over a, a, a long period of time you need to be kind to yourself and not not stop them all of a sudden and realize that it can take some time but work towards that goal of reducing reducing them down to as low a dose as possible and if possible even stopping them so there's this phenomena called opioid induced hyperalgesia and what they're finding now people on long-term opioids with higher doses it actually um, makes you more sensitive to the pain so they're not really 100% sure of the process, but things might be related to upregulation of the receptors or something like that. So, you know, in you and I, if someone just tapped our shoulder, it wouldn't hurt. But in someone with opioid-induced hyperalgesia, something like that would actually cause them extensive pain, and that was caused by the opioids. And the way to stop that is to actually reduce the, the opioids down. And what people have found is with this opioid-induced hyperalgesia, when they reduce amount of medication or the dose of medication their pain doesn't actually change so actually halving the dose hasn't actually changed their their experience of the pain anyway so um, it hasn't gotten worse is what I mean by hasn't changed their experience so they can reduce the dose but it doesn't doesn't change their their pain and we had a patient I know of a patient who um, was on a high dose opioid gone through a work cover case and after the work cover case the doctor said right we're going to reduce you off I think you might even be getting opioid-induced hyperalgesia. So they cut the dose down and the man, the pain didn't get worse. But his wife came in to see the doctor a week later and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he's like, what for? And he said, I've got my husband back. You've half the dose. And now he doesn't just sit in his chair all day and doze off and get angry. He's actually happier to come out and do things and the side effects are less. So it made a big impact on on their life, which is a nice story, I think.
0: With your job, how much interaction do you have with patients about this and with these alternative options for them?
1: And um, so, I work in a community pharmacy one day a month, but I've just in my um, at the Aboriginal Health Service, I've just started as well. So I have a bit of bit of interaction with with them, and it is it's a tough gig. It's not an easy it's not an easy thing, and pain is is individual and and everyone experiences it differently and everyone has their backstory and their own underlying issues as well. And sometimes what we've found with these opioid medications is often people are self-medicating for for other mental health conditions so that they've started taking the medication for their pain and they've found that it's helped their anxiety and um, other mental health issues, their depression, and made them feel better. I guess something to be mindful of is the side effects of long term use, which I think a lot of people aren't told about. And I'm currently doing this project where we, um, it's called Community Pharmacy Early Opioid Early Intervention. When someone starts on an opioid, they're actually given it, um, the pharmacist will sit down with them for half an hour and actually give them a lot more information about the side effects, the potential for dependence, what to do if you overdose, how to store them, all those types of things. And I think not always people are fully informed. They're just given this pain medication, told to go away and take it, and they don't realise that they can develop dependence on it. They don't realise that if you take it long-term, it can affect your immune system, it can affect your testosterone levels, it can stop you getting your period, all those other other long-term effects that people just don't, don't know. So we're hoping to with this study to prove that if patients are more informed, then they don't become dependent, they don't use it ongoing, and they know more about the medication itself so they know how to store it and all those types of things so hopefully that will show that
0: again going back to kind of my perspective on things sometimes when i ask about medications people aren't really forthcoming about that and they don't really want to tell you what they are taking or what they are on Ah. are there any specific signs of opioid dependence that can be picked up on
1: Probably from a Visio perspective, it might be a bit hard, but what we look for is things, we call them yellow and red flags, so aberrant behaviour. Um, and I guess some of the yellow flags, uh, they're unwilling to you know, consider other options for their, for their treatment, they just want the medicine. Trying to seek medication, so going for, to different doctors, different pharmacies, trying to get hold of the medication. Um, I mean, when it's a serious problem, sometimes they'll inject the medication to try and get a higher dose quicker. Um, that's a real alarm bell, and that's not all that common in people using medications for pain. Repeatedly, like losing their medication or trying to get their scripts filled early, all those kinds of things kind of ring alarm bells that something might be, be problematic yeah, for a pa- patient. Are there certain
0: medications that you as a pharmacist see that are over-prescribed?
1: Probably, obviously, the uh, oxycodone quite often, and I, I know things are changing. But a lot often patients that have been in emergency departments or in um, hospitals come home with a lot of oxycodone, and that's a problem. Um, there was a problem with over the counter codeine, but that's um, changed. That was rescheduled, so you can only get that on a script script now in in Australia. Um, and panadine Fort is is prescribed a, a lot, and I guess. Um, I think that people should be trying paracetamol on those things first before trying these higher things but a lot of often people just go straight for the the sledgehammer instead of trying to use the, the little the little little you know little hammer to tap it in we just go straight for the heavy stuff and we need to really build up and see first yeah.
0: how about with medications for nerve pain
1: so um, that the um, evidence for a lot of those medications isn't actually there so the number needed to treat is quite Quite high, but they're still used quite frequently, and um, in particular in Victoria, in pre gab uh, for pregabalin, which is Lyrica, that's the most abused drug in Victorian prisons. So, and that's a drug that's used for nerve pain, but the evidence isn't very high for it. Some of the um, antidepressants, so amitriptyline, has a bit of evidence to be um, to be used, but again that's just for certain pain and for certain certain people and people can become psychologically dependent on that as well and a lot of those medications have really nasty side effects so you've got to weigh up the risk benefit you know pregabalin causes pretty bad memory loss and can affect people in that in that way
0: what's the process like for a patient to wean off of an opioid
1: Uh, it can be long and 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 um difficult like it, it and as i said every patient's different about with those withdrawal effects. And it actually depends on whether they're just physically dependent on it or psychologically dependent on it as well. And if for some patients, if they're truly addicted, then they need to go on replacement therapy and that's when methadone and Suboxone um, comes in and then they get a stabilized dose of that and then try and stabilize everything else that's going on in their life. So if they have been showing those signs of aberrant behavior, so you know, going from doctor to doctor, losing scripts and things like that then we need to stabilize them first before we try and wean them off and generally as a rule sometimes it's about you know 10 every month or week that you drop the dose so it can be a slow process
0: this week we are in tasmania with the pain revolution and you were riding and had a crash on the bike i did yes so can you tell us about that and about your pain experience and
1: what you experienced with that? Sure. So I actually, when I did it, it was quite painful at the time. That was because my elbow was dislocated. So um, since then, my pain has actually been really good and I've hardly used any medication at all. And when I have, it's been paracetamol or, or anti-inflammatories. And I think part of that is that whole sim of I feel so lucky that I'm still alive that, that this is probably, you know, a little dislocated elbow is, is nothing. Um, I did get given a lot of opioids when it initially happened and I wasn't particularly happy about that. I, I was like, I felt like a lot of them were pushed or they tried to push them on me and they actually were making me feel pretty unwell and I didn't feel in control. I felt a bit foggy and I didn't like that feeling. So in the hospital, in the ED department, where they were trying to give me more opioids, I was like, no, I don't want any more painkillers. Oh, but you're in pain. I'm like, I'm not in that bad of pain. I can tolerate it. And I want to be able to focus on what's happening. I don't want to feel out of it. So it was an interesting experience in that. And I think I got to try a whole heap of different ones, which was, yeah. And they did make, they made me feel sick. So I think that kind of made my whole experience worse because of the way I was feeling that nausea rather than the, the pain itself.
0: Did you tell them you were a
1: pharmacist? Um, sometimes yeah they were telling the, <laughs> the pharmacist they still were going you need the gas and I'm like I don't want any more pain relief I actually am okay I can sit with this pain I know why I have pain because my elbow is out and I know when you address that it will be better it's no it's not going to be forever um yeah so I know I just didn't want to feel sick or out of it anymore like cause I just um because when I was on the side of the road they gave me a fair bit of morphine and i got some more morphine in there ambulance and then I just wanted to, when I got in the ambulance I just wanted to go to sleep um, but they were worried that maybe I'd had too much opioids and my breathing rate had slowed down so they wouldn't let me go to sleep so I was there like oh I want to sleep I want to sleep and they're like no you need to stay awake and I'm like you've dosed me up on all this medication that makes me drowsy and now you're keeping me awake it's horrible so yeah it wasn't all that great of an experience but the health services were great
0: <laughs> and any new insights through this injury about pain or people
1: living with chronic pain? I think, for me, having the group that I had around me and feeling supported and cared for just made such a massive difference on my pain experience. And I think if I didn't have that, it might have been different, but having that just, yeah, I just think it really helped me through and, and mm, um, yeah. I think that made a major difference. I mean, I don't know because I don't know what the other experience was, but I just feeling cared for and loved and and cared about just, yeah.
0: So any advice you would have for someone who went through a similar experience or has gone through something like this and then developed chronic pain from that?
1: Um, You want to make sure you can, it's not always easy though, get people around you that can support you, I guess. And don't be afraid to ask for help um people actually like to help you um and I guess that positive thoughts about it you know for me and maybe because I've had injuries before I'm I, I my, my in my head I'm like injuries heal it'll be it's annoying at the moment but I know in a couple of months this will be better and I'll be back to doing the same stuff I always do and and so I guess it's being mindful of what you're thinking and how your thinking is going. And if you're thinking you're starting to go, oh, my God, you know, I've, I've hurt my elbow and I'm not going to be able to do this and I can't do that. And it's all horrible that I think that can have an impact. So trying to keep that positive, positive thinking going. And if you find you're struggling with that, then maybe going to see someone that can help you with that positive thinking and only taking the medication if you need it. If you're feeling okay, then you don't have to take it. You don't have to take it because you might do something that might hurt it as a, as a precaution, I suppose. But, yeah. Right,
0: thank you. No worries. Thank you for listening to Functional First Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating on the iTunes store and stay tuned each month for a new episode.